Prepping a baseball glove is an arduous process. It has to be broken in before it can perform to its fullest potential. If you don't do it right, you can be stuck with something hard and difficult, not really usable. The glove has to be undone. Inside the glove must be scraped, scratched, and picked at until everything that keeps it stiff is removed. The inner glove must be cut and the laces split and thinned with a blade. Step by step, the glove is softened. If the glove could speak, it would probably ask if all these cuts and scratches were necessary. It might even cry out, why is this happening? When the glove has been reshaped, it is put back together, piece by piece. It is not the same as it once was, and it no longer is tight and stiff. It is flexible and ready to be used. What if the challenges and difficulties, and even the mistakes in our lives, have a purpose? What if God is using them to take us apart and put us back together? To soften and shape us into who he wants us to be? What if every scrape and cut is not the end of us, but God's way of making us free? His way of preparing us for the work he made us for? What if the things that seem to break us are really just breaking us in. In just a moment, we'll hear a story of a life broken in and a life restored. Please welcome to the stage, Bob Musikowski. Well, hello. Welcome, all of you here to Christ Community Church, friends, guests, those of you who are regulars. And I want to say hi to everybody joining us at all four of our campuses in St. Charles, in Blackberry Creek, in Streamwood, Bartlett, and DeKalb. And I know there are probably many of you who are also watching online, so we're glad that you're here today. And Bob, we are so glad that you're here today to share your story with us. Thanks for coming out. My name is Bob. I'm an alcoholic. <laughs> Wrong meeting, sorry. Yeah, yeah. welcome to your AA meeting. Um, you'll understand that in just a few <laughs> seconds. Well, uh, Bob, your reputation is, uh, is based a lot on baseball. And so I want to kind of go back to the beginning, to your childhood. Where did you pick up a love for baseball? So I uh, grew up playing, looked like these guys over here. Um, and if you're over 40, baseball was the first game, was pre-soccer. And um, the game where you're faking injury and get credit for it. <laughs> uh, but uh, played from you know six on. Caught. I was a catcher all the way through college because when it was really hot, nobody wanted to do that, and you're kind of in charge, so um, control freak. So I did that. Um, I went to uh, all boys Catholic school in Bayonne, New Jersey, um, and uh, just blue collar neighborhood. My neighbor down the street fought Muhammad Ali. Chuck Wepner was the Bayonne bomber. The older people remember this. So. Um, he went the distance and knocked Ali down in the eighth round, got 150 stitches, but he finished the fight and Sylvester Stallone saw the Wepner Ali fight and wrote Rocky in three days. But there were like five other guys on my block that could have beat up Chuck. <laughs> I mean, he's that kind of neighborhood. He was on Johnny Carson after it and uh, 
He had all stitched up two days later, and he said, that looks like a rough. He goes, I get it worse with a rough night out with the boys. I would have kicked his ass in a phone booth. <laughs> now we're PG-13. Okay, there we go. <laughs> Anyways, that kind of neighborhood. Tough guys, blue, hardworking yeah. guys, World War II veterans. And, yeah. And so, um, and then I, I, I played football and baseball and got recruited. Uh, my father was sick, dying with cancer, so I went to Columbia University because it was only about 45 minutes from my house. And, yeah. I went there to turn the program around, which we were four, five, and one, which for Columbia is good. I said yesterday, the whole school looks like Woody Allen, so it's pretty hard to <laughs> win in sports. But. So you, uh, you had a, an early love for sports, but you also picked up an early love for alcohol. How did that develop? Yeah, I could remember sneaking into my parents' uh, liquor cabinet and pouring, don't do this, <laughs> pouring uh, Fleischmann's into the shampoo bottle because it looked the same color and drinking it on the Boy Scout trips. And it, it, was, it was a caper of getting away with something, but for me, it just clicked on, right? It's like an allergic reaction. Normal people don't do that. <laughs> and so um, I did that. And then I would, during, I mean, I was a coach's dream, shaved my head for football, didn't it? Now I don't have to do that. They put makeup on my head. <laughs> Can you see it? No. <laughs> so, um, I, uh, but when I went out, I was going. So if I had a little taste of alcohol, I was, gonna get drunk from it so yeah. um, and then at Columbia uh, I managed the school pub perfect right and the drinking age was 18 and so it, it got away from us and uh, yeah. at the, I remember uh, and I never smoked a cigarette in my life I was a pretty squared up guy except for the alcohol but I uh, my senior year a guy bought in uh, cocaine and I was up you know we we're running the club till 3 in the morning and I tried it and the second night I tried it again and the third night I said hey, is it cheaper if we get a lot of that? And so I had to run for about five years with that. Really bad. I mean, it's, it's an insidious drug. You spend thousands of dollars to sit around and feel nervous. Somebody knows what I'm talking about. <laughs> um, Stay up for two days. What, what were the signs that you had a problem? Uh, a couple of my friends talked to me about it, but I went to, uh, I was playing rugby after college, wasn't good enough to make uh, professional sports, and so I um, played rugby. For 10 years because I've been running into people since I was eight years old so <laughs> at 20, you can't like stop that at 23 uh, some people run marathons and do different things but we played rugby and uh, I met uh, I was playing in my game and I, one of the guys was thrown out for fighting on my team and my guy said that guy's a priest and it was BJ Weber who was a shepherd of Times Square as a, a minister at the Lambs Church in Times Square when Times Square was rough so I remember offering some coke on a high, on the sideline. He's a minister, right? <laughs> so he just poo-pooed me, and he dared me to come to his church. And I went the next morning, hungover, to the Lamb's Church in Times Square, 130 West 44th Street. And I saw people intensely about Jesus. I mean, they were calling for a fair catch when they sang. <laughs> they into it. I'd never seen anything like that. And then everybody ate, and there were prostitutes and homeless people, and well-dressed people, and they all ate together, and I had not seen church like that. So uh, I started to go, but I was still doing my Jekyll and Hyde thing, right, and doing my own thing on the weekends. And, uh, and then they invited me to the presidential prayer breakfast under President Reagan, and I said, give me my ticket, I'll meet you there. I was in Washington, I went out drinking by myself in Washington, D.C. I mean, I'm not an alcoholic, I just went out drinking by myself in a town where I don't know anybody. Uh, it's the opening scene of the movie Hardball. I, um, fight broke out. I jumped into it. The bouncers were beating up a kid. I hit a bouncer. 
he broke a Heineken, another one broke a Heineken bottle, and it, I caught it and it went right, so I had a bottle embedded in my hand. Hit him with a beer mug. Grabbed the chandelier to kick a guy like Clint Eastwood does in the movies. <laughs> but they don't hold you. <laughs> if you weigh over 100, so I grabbed it like, nothing to do with alcohol, right? So um, I get assault with intent to maim, battery, I'm locked up. I have a $100,000 bail, and I never make it to the prayer breakfast. Prayer breakfast is a dangerous thing. It is. <laughs> so, uh, and the Christians bail me out, and I didn't know them that well. Mm. And uh, they bailed me out of Prince George's County Jail, which is like Cook County. It's a rough spot. And I, uh, I prayed with them to receive and I, I just, you know, I was broken, right? Yeah. So I have an undergraduate master's degree from Columbia, and I'm going to jail. Yeah. So, uh, but they were there for me. In the book of James 122, we always have our kids read James first because it's only five pages. <laughs> so for ADHD people, <laughs> get through that, and, um, which is half, our, half the young people today. You got to make it work for you. But um, so I prayed with them, and then um, I just couldn't get past what they were doing. And I started to go get active in the church instead of floating around, right? And uh, it was... The, at the Lambs, there was a room with bunk beds in it with about 50 guys in it, and it looked like Auschwitz. It was the start of AIDS, and Lambs Church was on the cutting edge of that. And these B.J. Weber, Denny Rule, these guys are doing guys' diapers, so I'm jumping in with them. I'm changing these men who are dying. And at the time, nobody knew what it was yet. Mm. And, uh, and those, at that time, you died in six months. So, uh, but I couldn't get past these Christians, well, how they live their lives, right? Uh, they'll know we are Christians by our love at the time. Um, and so I prayed, and my wife was a foreign currency trader, and she, she, she'd give this analogy. What's your downside risk? If, if it's true, the Word was made flesh and dwelt amongst us, and Jesus is who he said he was, and we believe it, it's great for eternity. And if it's not, we have anything to lose, right? Yeah. Um, but it is true, and if you choose not to believe, then that's a pretty bad downside yeah. for all eternity. So, um, but I couldn't get past the Christians, the real Christians, just doing it, right? Yeah. Just serving. At Chicago Hope, we have a saying, it's from St. Francis, preach the gospel at all times, if necessary, use words. And I just couldn't get past that. And so I grew in my faith. I ended up in Bolivia for some time with a Trappist monk priest. They built an orphanage there. It's called Amistad. And I got rooted in the scripture. I mean, um, plus it was a safe place, you know, for alcohol and drugs. Yeah wasn't happening there so um, especially when you're serving like there's no time for it and I started to think uh, it was just a horrible self-indulgent waste of time the alcohol and drug thing because I thought uh, when we were doing it we'd be you know 20 guys out in a bar like we're a bunch of rogues and really we were just a bunch of selfish dogs and it was very superficial the as deep as you get was the Yankees <laughs> or here it's the Cubs <laughs> but um, tell people, me. people tell me talk to me a lot about Am I excited for the Cubs winning the series? And I said, I'm from New York. We have the World Series all the time. <laughs> In fact, we buy it. We just bought it. We have Stanton and another one. Tell me. <laughs> you could buy the World Series. <laughs> Tell me about how you got involved in AA. So um, I pray to receive Christ outside the jail with them, and I'm just broken then, right? Yeah. I'm all stitched up, facing charges. And uh, I go back. And a friend, Dave, calls me. I just pick up the phone. It was pre-cell phone. And he goes, hey, let's get together tonight. And this is the guy. He's, Dave is still good. He looks like Richard Gere. I want to just strangle him. <laughs> <laughs> but at the time, uh, I would just hang out with him because if, 
you know, in a bar because if the girls, if he, I would get his second string, right? So, <laughs> oh, and so um, uh, he called me up and he said, I go, Dave, I just pray to become a Christian. I'm in trouble. I got in a bar fight. And he goes, no, I quit drinking a couple of weeks ago. Why don't you meet me tonight? Meet me. I'm meeting some guys. So I end up in an AA meeting by mistake and I didn't even know I was going to one. Um, and in those days, it was smoking, so I was like, whoa. <laughs> but um, the, I remember the guy talking up in the front, and he was about the third step. We made a decision to turn our will and our life over to the care of God as we understood him, and I'd just done that. I mean, the 12 steps of the, it's the, the New Testament paraphrase. It's all good things come from the Lord, right? So um, I started to go to it, and it just made sense to me to get rigorously honest and get serious about faith. So if you're going to make a decision to turn your will and your life over to something, you should like research a little bit and make sure you know what that is. And so my studies of the scripture and having the fortune of seeing Christians really live it out, you know, I you know, made a commitment that Jesus Christ was who he said he was, because if he wasn't, he was a maniac, right? Yeah. So he was who he said he was, and that is the good news. Like we used to have a small New Testament called the good news. That's why it's called that. Like that isn't good news. That's unbelievably great news yeah. that the Lord of the universe cares about me. You know, it's almost cliche now because of the end zone, you know, John 3:16. But if God so loved the world that he made himself into a man to come down here, no Porsche, no white horse, get his head, his face kicked in on a cross. That's deep, man. That's like deep. Yeah. So, and if that is true, then it's all going to be all right, even if you have one day sober or whatever your situation is. And that's the great thing, because whether you're a superstar or a regular guy, you know, working as a janitor at Chicago Hope, you're in the same, Jesus loves you the same as he loves Michael Jordan, right? So, um, and that's the beauty of it. Yeah. That's the wonderful side of it, because often I think when I, if a guy is new to his fate and I'm running downtown, I'm in it every day. Like, we live on the southwest side of Chicago, so there's people knocking on the door for food, and there's always some ministry to be done. And that's the word, like, okay, I'm going to get sober, and I'm 40, and I have two kids over there, and one over there, and everybody hates me, and it's okay, right? You know, it's okay. So you can still be a blessing if you have one day out of jail, or one day sober, or one day off, whatever you're thing is. You could always be a blessing to somebody. And you see Christ in the face of the poor. So, I mean, that picture was up there. Um, to just show it? it looked like a bunch of kids running along. I don't know where. They're in yeah. South Africa or the Sudan or something. Just beautiful, right? Yeah. So. Yeah. Well, you uh, come to faith. You get sober. And we're going to fast forward through some of your life here. But uh, you end up uh, marrying uh, Tina, mm -hmm. and your wife. And you, from pretty early on in your marriage, you had people living with you. Mm -hmm. tell, tell us about that. Yeah. Uh, we got married. My wife, I met her in New York at BJ's house. And um, she became a Christian young. was a great anchor for me. And uh, still is. So I... Um, uh, we uh, started, you know, running to somebody need a little space. We moved to Chicago for new jobs and by mistake, uh, move into a rehabbed house on Division in Sedgwick, 1988. And I went running the next morning and I come around the corner. I'm like, you know, it was, uh, it was Cabrini Green. So uh, like literally a block from my house and the cops, I remember this, like they pulled over and put me in the car. It's a Sunday morning and I'm jogging, May of 1988. And I go, what are you doing? I go, I just moved here from New York. And I go, this is Cabrini Green. They were like laughing at me. <laughs> so uh, uh, 
you know, I went from Iran, and uh, uh, um, Columbia University is in Harlem, and I, where I grew up, so I was always, that wasn't a big deal to me, I'm a city guy. But um, the, there were kids everywhere, right? And this is, um, and so I started to have a catch, and I bought about five or six baseball gloves uh, with some boys on a corner. We cut the grass on the ball field, and uh, about a couple weeks into it, I said, look, I had my assistant print up a bunch of flyers with scotch tape, and I said, put these on the telephone poles all around the neighborhood for Saturday practice at nine. And if we get six or seven more boys, we can have a baseball team. We could be a team. And that Saturday, 300 boys showed up. <laughs> more than, and we became the biggest inner city little league in America and still are today. And I wrote a book about it. And got to be misplayed by Keanu Reeves in a movie, Hardball. Yeah, let's, let's take a tangent on that one. So they, they made a movie about your life, uh, Hardball, and you're played by Keanu Reeves. And, and you're not a, a big fan of the movie. And I'm curious, because I know if someone, you know, if they made a movie about my life and I was played by Chris Pratt, just you put the glasses on him and squint a little, it's a, a dead ringer. Um, <laughs> But if I, was, if I was in a movie, I would think, wow, this is super cool. But yeah. you weren't too excited about it. Yeah, so they didn't ask us. I got a, there were newspaper articles all over the country saying my friends are calling me from San Francisco, Boston. Hey, congratulations, they're making your movie. Keanu Reeves plays Bob Mazakowski, former alcoholic turned devout Christian. They hadn't called us. So there'd been a lot of little TV specials on us and a lot of Sports Illustrated articles. So they took our story. And, uh, and they had an R-rated film in which the... Uh, the kids were, this little boy, G-Baby, he's a character, and he said the F word 36 times in an hour, and he was nine years old. And I have never been sworn at by a, a little black kid, and I've coached hundreds of kids, never. And they're trying to, they go, we want to make it real. I'm like, do you know any kids like that? Or where do you live? Beverly Hills. So the arrogance of the Hollywood crowd. So um, we asked them to change it, and they wouldn't, and so we sued Paramount Pictures. Did you, anybody see my cousin Vinny? So that was us. So, <laughs> there's a bunch of Little League coaches, pro se against Jenner and Block, big $750 an hour law firm. And, and I don't want to, I've, I've never sued anyone before. I hate the whole thought of it, but um, they were taking a Christian program and kind of bashing it. So we, uh, we sued them and we win on a motion to dismiss and they're going to stop their film. And they've got $50 million into this thing. So they changed it. Um, they took the language out, and they took the scenes out where coaches are hitting it. It was pretty egregious. Um, and the movie, that, if you don't cry at that movie, you're really, Brian, Brian Dixon is G-Baby. We bought him a bike for his birthday, one of our boys. And then uh, uh, they killed him for his bike that we bought him. And uh, so we, I preached that funeral. There's a scene in the movie for that. And so it was a lot of our story, and they took the Christian side out of it. Yeah. Um, which, if you don't have control of it... Um, you have to get in there before they... So, uh, good message of a catharsis, but not what it could have been. I mean, yeah. It could have been a tremendous... Yeah. So, 300 kids show up, and you... How do you get coaches for that? So, I, we just had... A, there was only a few of us, so I got 40 long, long stem rose boxes, and I put baseball bats in them, invited them to 40 baseball-friendly people or people with money, <laughs> and, um, and I'd only been here for a year, so I, I didn't know that many people, but I had clients, and so, and I invited them to a party and signed a Batman to meet after work. At this. So um, everybody showed up. It's a pretty curious invite, right? You get a baseball bat and a rose, long stem rose box, and it invites you to something signed Batman. So I'm going to go. 
<laughs> so they came, and I said, I need you to sponsor teams, and, but you can't just sponsor, you got to coach it. And everybody's like, that's cool, where is it? And I'm like, it's not <laughs> So the senior guys at Northern Trust and Merrill Lynch and all that made the young guys coach, which was pretty cool. <laughs> they made them do it. And, uh, and we opened the season, and it went uh, on the field incredibly well. And, uh, and then later on, started the girls' softball. And then when Cabrini Green, if you're downtown, is gone, uh, we moved it to the west side. If you're on the Eisenhower, you see a hope sign between Western and Sacramento, that's where the fields are. Uh, so the league's going strong, and yeah. it morphed into Chicago Hope, too. Yeah. So. So tell me about some of the challenges that you face running a league in the inner city. Well, you know, if you're going to really speak Jesus, then the line forms, right? And especially if you live there. So we chose to stay, right? And then, um, when, then we moved to the west side. That's sort of our mo, like, move, move to where it's bad and try to make it better. So... Um, and then we started, we have seven children of our own and then a whole bunch of others. So um, the, the day-to-day relentlessness of it, because there's always something and somebody really needy. I met a 42-year-old great-grandmother. Just do that math. And so there's a lot of single moms and, uh, or grandmas, a lot of grandmothers raising the kids, and, so, and the kids are looking for uh, uh, role models. I mean, they don't say it, of course, but they are, right? Yeah. And there's a lot of, I could just, just a quick vignette, Jesus talked in parables. I remember this, I don't know if you remember this, Tina, we were playing at, uh, on a field at Adams, Tui Herbert. So we had overflow, we had so many teams. And the kids would all get in a pool and coaches would pick them like a normal little league. But I would just go to a diamond and start having a catch with my two sons. And, and within two hours, I got my team. The kids come around. And so I had two left-handed boys that didn't even know that they were lefty. And so uh, I called Tina, I said, when you pick me up, bring me two lefty gloves out of the garage. So she brings the gloves and I give them to the two boys and now we're drinking Gatorade, everybody's happy, they're gonna, and they go, coach, who's that lady? And I said, "Uh, that's my wife. And they both went simultaneously. She be living with you? (laughs) They didn't know what wife meant. Mm. I mean, that's how it's, they didn't know what wife meant. Yeah. So that's. Yeah. That's a cultural shift, right? Yeah. Um, so. talk, talk about some of uh, the, the violence you encountered. Yeah. I mean, this, we're the school that the teams wouldn't play us. If you saw that on Fox News and CBS in October, some suburban teams wouldn't play us because of the violence in the neighborhood. They were shooting down the street at the Providence Catholic game. and So, um, so it's pretty crazy out there. The firepower is amazing to me. Um, and you've got to trust in the Lord and get out there. We don't, uh, you know, we batten down the hatches. The last game's over at 10 and we shut it down. But we're trying to take the neighborhood back. A um, uh, couple close calls we've had. I'm pumping gas and I got my three boys uh, in the back of the van. So um, it's about 5, 6 p.m. on a Saturday afternoon. All the games are playing through. So it's because now you've got, you know, it's eight games going on a time and four diamonds and the. Um, and an all-volunteer program, right? We're not getting paid to do this. So, uh, and the kids are incredible. The young people are incredible. Uh, I'm encouraged by the young people coming right out of college, how seriously they take this. So I'm pumping the gas, and I have my three sons go in to get Skittles at the, the convenience store in a gas station, and they come in, they're sitting in the van, and they spill them on the floor. So they're on the floor eating the Skittles, 
which don't tell me you haven't done that. <laughs> Last night in this room, people were eating marshmallows that were hit with baseball bats into the stand. Did you know that? Why didn't you do that this morning? And they're eating marshmallows off the floor <laughs> in this room. So uh, they pick up, they're picking up the Skittles, and a bullet comes through the window, this window, and goes through that hit, broke that glass and that glass. And they're right under it, eating the Skittles off the floor. Wow. And, uh, you know, one, the first season, we had five, five kids in the league killed in that season, wow. in one season. And, uh, you know, these are little kids. It's not your fault if you're 12 years old. You're in that situation, right? Yeah. A uh, lot, lot of things happen for it to come to that, but we're here now, and that's sort of our position at hope, right? And in the little league, look, maybe your father's in jail, your mother's on drugs, but you're not. Let's go. It's yeah. game on, and it's, it's time to... Uh, uh, grandmother said to me once, when you're, in the, when you're in the water, you don't care what color lifeguard is, right? Yeah. And, uh, and we're, met, I mean, have, we're strong minority presence from our coaches and everybody too. So. Yeah. But I think if it's our city, Chicago, and we're supposed to love God with our whole heart, mind, and soul, and love our neighbor as ourselves, well, we got to do something here. That has, you have to take that personally when you read 4,000 shots, 768 killed. That's personal, right? That's on us. I think that's on the church, that we're supposed to be in that. It's not the mayor's problem or the police problem. It's our problem. We're supposed to be in that. Yeah, that's for sure. All right, so there's challenges, there's setbacks, things that are discouraging. But tell me a story or two of people whose lives were changed. So um, I have a story at hope. It's more recent. Uh, girl comes in, um, she's crying, she's hiding under the bed from her mother's boyfriend. So um, we had, I brought her in the conference room, this is at Hope, I remember six years ago. And a little deeper than that, um, she breaks, sweet girl, wonderful. Uh, it's a little deeper than mother smokes crack and makes her have sex with a boyfriend while she watches. So my head's spinning around, right? So I got a 911 that, call the cops in, big issue. Um, she, uh, aunt, we have her in a really good situation with a bunch of Christian people. And, um, uh, and then we got to go to trial about six months later because of mother's arrested. And I get death threats at my house from the other side of it. So these people arrested and we're going into the courthouse in the Harrison district. And I remember we're going in there and she's shaking me like you'd be walking your daughter down the aisle. And she's just, she's about five foot two. <laughs> and they're, She's going to have to say, she's going to have to see her mom in an orange jumpsuit. So um, we're sitting in there, and now we have the cops and the lawyers. It's, they're really on our side. I've had a great experience with CPD, right, with Chicago Police Department. So behind me comes our um, uh, coaches with a whole bunch of Hope kids in their school uniforms, about 30 or 40 kids sit behind us at the, in the courthouse, right? And like, it's like the Jesus gang just showed up. <laughs> So their lawyer sees that, meets with ours, they go up to the judge, cop a plea, and we walk out. We didn't even have to go anything. We never got to see her mom. We didn't have to do anything because they saw that, and they went like, we're not going to win this thing. So, and we left. And I didn't know they were coming. Yeah. Um, and so we walked out of the room. And, and this year, uh, two years ago, I went to her graduation from college in Iowa, and she's an RN. Yeah, so she graduated from college. I talk to her every month, right? I don't do Facebook, but we, 
She knows my cell. <laughs> um, talk to me about hope. How do you, so you, you're doing Little League, you're doing all this other stuff, but then you decided to start a private school. How'd that come about? Yeah, so again, I'm in the business world, so I'm not, I'm not an educator per se, um, but we have a lot of kids and we're educated, so we're homeschooling our own kids uh, for, through grammar school. And the local Catholic school closed, and they locked up. 152 Catholic schools have closed in Chicago since 1980. And we feel the gangs filled that void of the parish school, right? When the urban poor people were white, the Catholic school system saved millions of us, and it worked, and everybody went golfing at Barrington and forgot where they're from. So now the urban poor are mostly minority in Chicago, and we said, oh, sorry we did that to you for 200 years. Here's free rent and food stamps. Good luck. Right, we're getting a little too edgy here. No, you're all right. So there needs to be some faith-based schools. So we're the only non-denominational Christian high school in the city. We bought St. Callista's School, rehabbed it, and then I needed a bunch of help. I mean, I'm, I'm way over my head. And we opened up Chicago Hope Academy 13 years ago. And with 100 kids, and right out of the gate, we're playing sports. We might be too sports-centric, but it's kind of who we are. So we're playing football, and I have no one to play because we're a new school. And I read in the paper that Seton Academy dropped football a month before the season, which is faux pas. That means you left nine teams hanging. So I find out who they're playing, and I go, bang, bang, bang. Hey, I'm Bob from Chicago Hope. I see you're empty October 7th. So I get, and we get our nine games. And we open with St. Ignatius, 120-year-old school, um, 1,600 students at their new place. And the coach, Steve Cortez, calls me a week before and goes, you know, it's, I, I hate to tell you this, but it's the grand opening of the new field and the track. And there's going to be thousands of people there. And if it gets ugly, I promise not to run up the score. And uh, we, we don't do that to people. So I'm like, thanks, Steve. I use that in a pregame talk, even I'm not head coach. <laughs> so my wife came at halftime, and it was 26 to 6 or something. She goes, hey, that's not bad. And the guy said, no, we're winning. We smoked, and we ran them off the field. <laughs> I said, we were on 78. They were on 33. You older people get that? Remember the record players? We're like, <laughs> For those of you over 40, there were things called record players, and the little ones were 78, and the big ones were 33. Well, we were the faster ones. They're, they're like CDs, but even those are obsolete <laughs> now. So. Um, well, we actually have a, a clip of a couple of your students that have been impacted at, at Hope. So uh, why don't we show that to you? I am currently a senior at Chicago Hope Academy. Chicago Hope Academy has changed my perspective on life. My name is Monique Flores. I am a senior here at Chicago Hope Academy, and I have absolutely loved my experience. I love being surrounded by the Word every day. It's definitely important. If you look at like the walls here in the building, Bob made sure that we have scripture pretty much everywhere we look. One key factor besides the school has been Coach Bob. He's a wonderful person to be around. My first encounter with him, um, it wasn't just a handshake, it was a hug. Like he, he give you this welcoming feeling that no matter what you do or no matter you know how bad things are going, he's always gonna be there for you. Coach Bob is a great man. You know, he's always checking in on his students. Every time he sees you, he'll greet you, ask you how you're doing. Like especially as seniors, he's always like, What are your college plans? What networking can I hook you up with? Like, who can I get you to talk to? I know the admissions person here and here, like, what do you need? And he's just always willing to offer that helping hand. Even if, you know, we're not as successful as we want to be after high school. One thing I know that Coach Bob has instilled in us is to be a humble servant for others. 
and I will forever thank him for that. Really, it's really amazing to see the difference that these, uh, all the, the, the little league, the the school, and all the rest is making in people's lives. Actually, uh, you recently, just this week, were uh, featured on WGN on the news. They were they did an interview that was uh, really great and just a, a, a cool honor for you. And uh, so, uh, I, I'm just thinking about people here who are. Um, we we call these inspiring stories weekend, and they're hearing your story. And they're, wow, that is really incredible. But they think, I don't, I don't know if my life could have a fraction of the, the influence of the things that Bob's done. What would you say to them to inspire them to get going in terms of serving people around them? Yeah, so that's, uh, I didn't know what I'm, I started to have a catch with a couple of kids. And we moved, to there, we moved there by mistake. I didn't know it was Cabrini Green. I didn't even know what that was. So I didn't have a big plan to go say, I mean, we just started to have a catch with some boys. So to be available, or it might be start to counsel, or it could be going to the senior center, right, and help those people. You just have to, you know, Jesus washed the disciples' feet. He did that on purpose, right? It doesn't have to be any great, magnificent thing, but, and then something big might come out of it, right? This thing will probably get bigger when I get out of the way. So I, uh, we're here, like this was the little thing, right, <laughs> in a garage, in a basketball gym, so we went out with Paul last night, and he was talking, telling how his thing merged in. And um, You just want, I think, humbly and just go do what Jesus, love God, love your neighbor. What does it look like? Do not store up your treasures on earth where moth and rust corrupt and thieves break in and steal. Store up your treasures in heaven, for where your treasures are, there will your heart be also. It's Matthew. And so you, we need to just do, be his humble servants. Those of you in business, like, you're supposed to do great. I'm a capitalist to the court just works. At, but we're not supposed to keep it, right? I was laughing. I was driving over here, and I saw all the fraternity houses. Oh, they're not fraternity. <laughs> they're just big houses. <laughs> I, go to, I go, do those people have 27 kids? <laughs> they're like little or I go, that would be a great orphanage. That would be a great orphanage. <laughs> so you were supposed to downsize, right? Jesus downsized. Eyes have not seen nor ears heard what heaven is like. So he's got this great deal, and he comes here. Right? He downsizes himself to come to earth. The least we could do is sell off some stuff and get more involved in your ministry. I mean, or whatever the cause might be, right? You're like, and I know my peer group because I'm in the markets and guys are at the trading floor. They are five. I work really hard. I deserve this. Well, you're born in the United States in this time. You don't have Down syndrome. You really don't deserve. <laughs> We've just been super blessed. It's almost like God saying, I'll give you guys whatever and see what you do with it now. And so it's time for us to, and I'm not here to guilt trip anybody. It's time for us to let, let go of some of our things and really get, I think, get more involved personally, financially, in every way. Yeah. And, and I'm also thinking about a group of people here who they've come out and we've said, hey, this is a story of hope. And especially uh, they might be resonating with uh, your, your story, the, the change that happened in your life. You know, you went from being an addict to uh, being someone who's been transformed. And uh, they're hearing that and thinking, I, I need some hope in my life. But there might also be people who are thinking, well, my life hasn't gotten that bad. So why should I consider this whole Jesus thing for me? Yeah, again, it's that. It's the opportunity cost, right, of believing versus not believing, right? So this is, what it, this is the truth. It's 2,000 years, it's lasted, Dead Sea Scrub. I mean, this is 
2,000 years old, and that's, it's still valid. It's not changed from what it was. And it says, Jesus said, you know, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. He didn't say, I'm a really nice guy. I'm going to get an example, right? He made, and that's why they killed him, right? So um, you have to make that call. Are you going to believe this or not, right? And if you believe it, then your life, unless you're some perfect person out there, which none of us are, you're going to have to make some adjustments. And so it's almost more difficult. For me, it's easy. I'm going to jail. I'm a drunk, right? That's an easy one. I got to change. Um, but it's harder when things are going pretty well. They said the best and, and the worst thing for an alcoholic is not when things are going badly, it's when they're going really good, right? Because then you think, oh, well, maybe I could go have a little. But I think you need to just, everybody needs to look in the mirror and make some decisions because, you know, you might, your, your character defect might be greed, right? I have successful friends and they're always, they always have a net worth sheet, right? It shrunk a little bit last week. <laughs> but <laughs> um, <laughs> for everybody. <laughs> So um, I think that, yeah, you just got to release our stuff, right? Because there's no, um, let me tell a story about our wrestling coach is Dan Willis. And he's the oldest brother. His six brothers and sisters were going to see him 20 years ago. And the truck gate fell off in front of the car and it caught their gas tank. Some of you remember the story. And the parents were driving and um, the car caught on fire and the six kids burned to death as their parents were trying to get them out of the car. And um, the older boy they were going to see is our wrestling coach at Chicago Hope. He's now in his 40s. And they just had their 12th kid. <laughs> and the father, who I've become very tight with, Scott Willis, who's one of the best Christian examples you'd ever see, said to me, Bob, uh, when I die, the last check's going to bounce. <laughs> um, and so I think that's how we should live our lives, right? Where we're giving it all away, and then it, because in the end, we're gone. And, uh, Going to heaven, whether you have $100 million or no dollars, right? Or going to heaven. There's not a lot of mention of hell in the Bible. So um, that's something you could talk about later. <laughs> so I would seriously consider the claims of Christ and either take it or leave it and get off the fence. Yeah. yeah. So. And some of you are here and you're, you're thinking through this stuff and you're, uh, you're hearing what happened in Bob's life and saying, I wonder if that could happen for me. And this is the, the really good news. This is the reason uh, why we have these weekends so that we can tell you that God really wants to do this sort of thing in your life. It's not a, a unique thing that, that he transforms someone's life. This is what God has been doing from the very beginning. You see, God made you, each and every one of us, he made you for a purpose. He made you for a relationship with him. Uh, we were made to draw our life from God, to be connected with God, to be joining God in what he's doing in the world. And the really sad thing is that each and every one of us, we've all walked away from that. We all said, you know, I'm going to do it my way. I'm going to figure out my own thing. And when we do that, we just we make a mess of our lives sooner or later. Uh, and the thing is this, when we disconnect from God, who is the source and the giver of life, you know what the result of that is? It's death. We die spiritually, which is the reason we've got this restlessness and this ache inside of us. Ultimately, we die physically, and if nothing's done about it, we die eternally. If we disconnect from God here, we'll find ourselves disconnected from him there. And so we're, we're in a real mess. We, we, we haven't done so well on our own. But this is the amazing thing. God loves us too much to leave us in that situation. He loves us so much that he didn't, he didn't just say, hey, guys, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you some advice about how to clean things up. 
I'm going to shout down from heaven, here's what you should do to get out of your situation. He said, no, I'm actually going to show up myself and solve the problem. And so that's what Jesus did. God showed up in a human being, moved into the neighborhood and said, your problems are going to be my problems. And so that's what happened when Jesus went to the cross. Uh, the Bible tells us that uh, when Jesus went to the cross, it wasn't because we had done so good, we had uh, figured things out, we were better. It said while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. When we were still powerless, when we were still his enemies, he said, I'm going to go and love you. And on the cross, what Jesus did is he said, I'm taking all the consequences. I'm going to take the death that you deserve. I'm going to take the guilt. I'm going to take the shame. I'm going to take the brokenness, and it's all going to come on me. And I'm going to bear it so that I can take it away from you. And so this is the amazing thing. When Jesus rose from the dead, you know what that means? It means that all of that is defeated and and he is offering new life to anyone who will receive it. Anyone, no matter where you're at. So the question is, how do you actually get that life? Well, it's really simple. Again, God doesn't ask us to clean ourselves up or get our act together first. He just says, come as you are, right where you're at. And just surrender to me. Just give up and say, I I don't want to do it on my own anymore. God, I need you to be the rescuer. I need you to be the ruler because I make a mess on my own. But you, you are the one who loved me enough to rescue me right here where I am. There there are some of you here who are thinking, I need to do that. Today is the day. I I need to do what Bob did all those years ago. Pray that prayer and, and actually begin a relationship with God and let him transform you. So this is what we're going to do. Uh, we're going to take a moment and we're, we're going to actually pray that prayer. I'm going to uh, lead you in it. It's a very simple, simple prayer. It goes like this. I'm sorry. Thank you. Please. The things that we learn to say as kids. We're going to say to God, I'm sorry for my sin. The ways that I have gone my way instead of your way. We're going to say thank you for showing up and dying for me and being raised so that I could have life. You did it. And we're going to say please. Forgive me and free me and bring me into your family. So we're going to do that right now. Uh, We're going to do it at all four of our campuses. And if uh, this is you now, uh, as I pray this, I want you to pray it along with me. Uh, Just in the quietness of your heart, I'm going to give you a a moment after I pray each of those parts just to express in your own uh, heart and mind uh, those thoughts to God. So let's do that now. God. I wanna start by saying sorry. I'm sorry for the things that I've done that I know are wrong. I don't even live up to my own standards, let alone yours. I've gone my own way and I've made a mess out of things. And I am so, so sorry, God. And now God, I wanna say thank you Thank you so much for showing up and going to the cross and taking my sin and dying for me and being raised so that I could have life. You did it when I couldn't. Thank you, God. And God, I want to say, please, please forgive me for all the things that I've done and all the things I will do. God, forgive me. And free me from myself, from my sin, from my addictions, from the things that I've got my life wrapped around that break me. Free me from those things, God. And welcome me into your family. I want to be your son, your daughter. I want to be one of yours.
There's some of you right now who have just prayed that prayer. At all four of our campuses, I'm sure there are people who have just crossed that line. And so what we've found here at Christ Community is that it's really helpful for people when they make that sort of internal decision to actually do something physical to express the commitment they've made, that's surrender. So here's what I'm gonna ask you to do. If that's you, you've prayed that prayer and you've, you've crossed that line, I want you to do something real simple, just to stand up in your seat where you're at for one second and sit back down as a way of just expressing that this is the day, this is what it happened. So go ahead and do that. At all four of our campuses, maybe even if you're at home uh, watching this online, uh, you just stand up where you're at and sit back down and express that today is the day. Do that in DeKalb and in Streamwood Bartlett, St. Charles, Blackberry Creek. Stand and express your decision to follow Christ. God, we pray for everyone who prayed that prayer, who stood, who uh, wanted to stand but didn't. God, we pray uh, for each of those people that you would be at work as they take this first step in following you. God, we pray that you would help them take the next steps. God, we pray that your spirit would move in them and grow them and transform them from the inside out. Thank you for what you've begun today in their lives. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.